Who are you? That's a really important question. Somebody were to ask you, well, uh, who are you? Uh, how would you answer them? You might uh, start off with your name. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Craig. I'm Clay. I'm Cindy. I'm, I'm Sharon. I'm, I'm Jill. I'm Liz. I'm, I'm uh, Brooke. Uh, you know, you might say your name. That's who you are, right? Uh, but they might say, well, you know, I, I know that's your name, but there are a lot of people with that same name, so, so who exactly are you? And so you might go with uh, maybe the things that you do, like for a living. Oh, well, I'm a I'm a pastor, I'm a plumber, I'm in construction, I'm a writer, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, uh, I'm in sales, uh, I'm an executive, I'm a coach, uh, something like that. Or you might even go with things that you like to do, like, well, oh, well, man, I'm a, I'm a fisherman, or I'm a, I like to sew, I'm an artist, I'm a vocalist, uh, I, like to, I like to golf, I, you know, I like other things like that. They say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that's what you like to do, I get that, but, but who exactly are you? And you might go with some tribe that you've aligned yourself with. So you might say, well, I'm, I'm from the north, I'm, I'm from the south. Uh, or you might say, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm independent, you know, I'm, I'm conservative, I'm liberal, uh, I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm a Redskins fan, I'm a Rangers, Yankees. You know, something, something like that, right? Uh, or are you just some kind of group that you're uh, aligning yourself with? They go, yeah, yeah, I know that's, that's kind of what your tribe, I know that's who you kind of run with, that's who you identify with, but, but I'm asking the a question, who are you? You might pause for a minute and go, well, um, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm an uncle, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, uh, you know, I'm an aunt, I'm I, I, maybe, maybe my role in the family. No, 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 I, I get that. But who are you? That's the question. That's the question each one of us have to answer. Who are you really, profoundly, on the inside? What is your identity? That's why we're launching this series. Because what is your identity? You know, Eric Erickson, a psychologist back in the 60s, he, he said that every human being goes through a phase of development, uh, which he called the identity versus role conflict. And he said, basically what you're trying to do is during this kind of adolescent period, you're trying to figure out what is your identity, what role do you play in the it, kind of in society. Now, he didn't need to tell me that because we've all been to middle school, right? We've all gone to middle school. And we know what goes on in middle school. I remember when I was in middle school, I had some friends, and they said, man, I'm going to be a jock. I want to be a jock. And so they wear a converse, you know, and they'd hang out with the jocks, go out for the ball team. But if they didn't make the team or they weren't very good at the team, then like the next day, flip on a dime. The next day, they got Wranglers on and boots on and cowboy hat, little snuff in here. Maybe that's just my West Texas background. And, 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 and they were like, want to be, they don't want to be a jockey anymore. They want to be a cowboy. They're going to hang out with the cowboys. Yeah. And drive a truck, you know, and go to rodeos. And, and then if that didn't work out, they weren't very good. Then like the next day, flip on a dime, they were, they wanted to be a rocker. So they wear their, they like these old ACDs t-shirts on, you know, with, with like the tour on the back and try to grow their hair. And they're going, Hey dude, you know, Hey man, you know, they're talking like that. But what are you doing? Why are you talking like that? I mean, they're just, they're trying to find desperately where the, what slot they fill in. And, and I, I wish that all that ended in middle school. <laughs> but it doesn't. Uh, people go into adult life and they go into their, their world and they're trying to 
grasp the answer to that question, who are you? And here's the reason why this question is so important. Because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. But if you don't know who you are, then you will constantly be doing things to try to answer that question. If you know who you are, then you know what to do. And so we're left to answer that question on our own. Who are you? Really, in this series, we're going to be trying to answer that question. And today I want to give you an overview of how to answer that question. But before you can answer that question, you need to answer another question, and that is this. Who does God say you are? Who does God say that you are? And to answer that, we go to the Bible. So once you get your Bibles out, there's a Bible available uh, at your seat. I want you to open it up to the very first book of the Bible, the very first page of the Bible. I think it's page one, okay, <laughs> legit, in your Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. This is where God creates. Genesis is a book of beginnings. And God is creating man, and he's going to tell us who we are. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. All right, so I want you to just notice right off the bat, who does God say you are? It's a couple of things. First thing is this, God, you, God says you're created. You are created. Look at, look at verse, verse, uh, verse 27. He said God created man or, or mankind is maybe the better way to translate that, both men and women, created by God. So right there, you can say you're not an accident. You're not a, a mess up. You're not a screw up. Uh, you're not like some random molecules that kind of found their way to pop out. Here you came. You are created by God. God created our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, the very first people. He created them by design. And you are created by design. You say, well, maybe that was God created Adam and Eve by design, but not me. No, no, no. That's what he says for every one of us. Right out in the margin of your Bible, Jeremiah 1.15 Jeremiah 1.15 says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now notice those phrases, I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart. This is true for every person in this room. This is true for every person that has ever lived, that God created you, that he formed you, that he knew you, and he set you apart to do a certain thing, to fulfill a certain function. You have a purpose in life. You were created by design. You're created by God. But I want you to also notice another thing. It says not only were you created by God, but you were created in the image of God. You see that? Let us create man, verse 27, in our image. If you back up to verse 26, he said, uh, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. Circle those words, image and likeness. Dr. Wayne Grudem, who's an author, writer, professor, he said both the Hebrew words for image and likeness refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing that it represents. The, the word image is used of a statue that's created and shaped in the image of a person. It's not the person, but it looks like the person. Same thing made of a painting that, it, that maybe you get your portrait made, right? Or your photograph, and it's in your image. You look like that, but it's not you. It's just an image of you. 
It's the same thing made of reference between a father and a son. You ever seen a father and a son and they're just like so similar, like that son just walks the same way as his dad or laughs the same way as his dad? We would say uh, that he, he is his dad spit out, all right? You know what that means, right? Is his dad spit out. I mean, he just looks just like him. Now, this phrase, image and likeness, that's what it says about you and God, that there's something profound about you that you are like your heavenly father. You are like God in some way that you reflect him. You, you look like him in some capacity. This is called the image of God. You're created in the image of God. Let me just put it to you this way. I'm finding my marker here. All right, let's just, let's just put it like this. ID given, all right? That you are given your, your self-awareness. You're, you're given your, your identity by God. And you were created in God's image. This is what the, the theologians call the imago Dei, the image of God. And they've been wrestling with, what is it? What, what does that mean? What is the image? Of, I know we're getting really deep here today, but, but this is great. I'm laying foundation. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? This has consumed a lot of paper and a lot of thought uh, written on this topic. I have volumes in my library on this very concept, the image of God. What does that mean? Well, some theologians think that what it means is that we have capacity that is like God. For example, because God is rational and intelligent, that we have the capacity for rationality and intelligence. We can, we can talk, we can think, we can plan, we can uh, do research, we can learn things, we can do long division, all right, or some of us, all right, so that's rationality. Or, or something just like uh, God is creative. We have the capacity for creativity. We can create and we can devi- develop art and color and beauty and machines and buildings. We can, we can create things. We can create machines that take us off into outer space and bring us back, right? Or whip you up to 30,000 feet and cruise you and drop you off in L.A. We, we can create things. See, We have that capacity that's like God is creative. Or maybe uh, God is relational, so we have this capacity for relationships. Or God is moral, so we have the capacity to understand what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, uh, what is the best and what is not the best. Listen, your cocker spaniel at home isn't doing any of this stuff, all right? He doesn't care about all that. He just cares about where his bowl is. He's not thinking about all these things. And this is what sets us apart from the animals. This is why human beings are different than any other thing on the created planet. We are created in the image of God. By the way, just a little side note, this is also why Christians are fiercely uh, defenders of life, whether it be life in the womb or life for the aged or life for the disabled uh, or or why we oppose racism or classism or sexism. Why? Because all those things diminish a person that is created in the image of God. That every person is created in the image of God and has worth and value and promise because God created him that way. That is a uniquely, distinctly Christian concept that it, that it undergirds even our Western uh, laws and, and philosophy. And so, so we are created in the image of God. And many people think, well, that has to do with your capacity, right? We have these same capacities as God. But I think, I think there's something greater than that. And this is what I'm driving to. I think more than just capacity, there's something more profound in that you were created in the image of God. And that is you, you were created to reflect the character of God. Think of it this way. You were made to mirror 
the character of God. You were born to bear the image of God. You were created to know God and to make him known in the world in which you live. That's who you are. You were made to mirror the character of God. What does that mean? That means because God is loving, when you go out and you love someone, then people see that and they go, oh, that must be what God is like because you're a follower of him and you know him. So that must be what God's like. When you are forgiving, then all of a sudden you begin to reflect to other people that God is a forgiving God. I do this because I'm following Jesus and he teaches me that he's a forgiving God, that I should forgive because God is generous. Uh, then, then when I exercise generosity, that I'm reflecting the, the character of God in the people around me and people know a little bit more about God because they see him reflected in my countenance. You see, that I, I mirror the character of God. That's, God has called you at in, in the core of your being. He has called you to know him and to make him known, to know him and reflect him, to know him and mirror him to the world. That's what it means to be in the image of God. And by the way, when you get a hold of this, this changes everything. It changes how you view the world. If you say, you know what, I know I'm a student, I'm going back to school, and I'm, my job is not to try to get other people to tell me who I am, but for me to walk with God and know him and to reflect him every, in my classroom, in the locker room, on the ball field, wherever I go, well, that changes everything. Listen, it changes how you relate to God. When you look at our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they, uh, when they were made in the image of God, then they walked in God's blessing. Verse 28 says, and he blessed them. I mean, they knew him, they walked with him, they were fulfilling his purpose that he created them to fulfill, that they were experiencing all that God had for them, and it was good, and it was right, and it was wholesome, and pure. It, 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 that's what God wants for you. God wants you to know him, and to walk with him, and fulfill the purpose for which he's given you life. It not only reflects, or shapes how you view God, it, it, it shapes how you view your work, all right? Some of y'all are going to get up and go to work tomorrow, Right? And, and, and you got to notice here in this passage, it says that he created them in his image, and then he gave them a job to do. See, the problem is a lot of people are going to their job, hoping their job is what defines them. Well, I'm an accountant. Well, I'm a sailor. I'm a this, I'm a that. And if I'm successful in my job, then that means that I'm good. I'm good, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a success. See, look at the paper. Look at the results. Look at the reports. But, but that's totally backwards, God said, no, no, your job cannot define you. That's why you see athletes when they're, they're all living for their career and then they blow out the knee and they don't want to live anymore. Why? Because they, they've tried to see their job as, as how they get their identity when that was never, ever, you were never created for that. Your identity comes from God to mirror him and to reflect him and to make him known. And then he gave you a place to do that called your job. That is simply the sphere, the environment by which you reflect God's character in that space. That's why, listen, your, your net worth can never determine your self-worth. Your, uh, your career path can never, ever, ever determine your core purpose in life. And yet so many people do that. So many people do that. But listen, God creates you in his image and he sends you off to be an accountant, sends you off to be in sales, sends you off to run a restaurant, sends you off to do those things it's because he wants somebody there to reflect him in that place. And it makes a difference. Now you're operating with what is just and right and good and fair and moral in that spot. And you go, man, that's something different about him. There's something different about her. Yeah, she's reflecting her daddy in heaven. See, it also shapes the way you deal with relationships. 
Man, some people go to relationships and uh, they try to go into a relationship getting something from my identity is that I'm married to you. My identity is I'm in this group. My identity is that, that you approve of me. You know, right now you may have some kids going off to college and right now they're going through rush, right? The whole idea is I got to get this group to like me and, and, and maybe I'm not worth anything if this group doesn't like me. That's, that's kind of messed up. That's not true. That's not based on that. But a lot of people live their whole life trying to get groups to like them or, or to like their post on Facebook, right? And if you don't get 100 posts, then you're, you know, you're not worth anything or whatever, how crazy that is, right? No, no, your groups don't give you your identity. Individuals don't give you your identity. You don't, you don't approach a marriage or a relationship and go, I'm half a person, I'm a needy thing. I need another half of a person to make us a whole person, and so I need you. That's nowhere in the Bible, all right? Nowhere in the Bible. You're a whole person created the image of God to know him and walk with him, and you don't approach relationships to take something from them. You walk in the fullness of God, and then you approach a relationship to have something to offer them, to something to give them. Not to be a user, but a giver. Not a taker, but a lover. A lover is someone who gives, not takes. So, so this shapes everything that you do. When you understand who you are and the image of God to mirror Mirror God's character to bear his image, to know him and make him known. This changes everything about your life. And this is what was happening in Genesis chapter 1. They knew God. They were walking with him. They experienced his blessing. Whole in their relationship with God. Whole in their understanding of their relationships. Productive and fruitful in their work. That's how God created them. And then something happened that messed everything up. Then something happened that was had cataclysmic uh, results that reverberate still today that caused us to actually twist and pervert and pollute our image. While our, in, our image was given by God, now we're dealing with ID lost. Our identity was lost in the sense that it, we reflect God's character. Let me, tell you what, let me show you what happened. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Very quickly, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the others beasts of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was, uh, was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Everything was going great till Satan slithered into the garden, right? By the way, the Bible talks about personal evil. He has a name, Satan, devil. You may say, I don't believe in personal evil, but then you've got a lot of explaining to do about all the weird stuff happening in our world. The Bible explains it very easy. Uh, he's got other names, by the way. Uh, liar, uh, accuser, uh, deceiver, lion that looks for someone to devour, enemy of man. That's what he's called. And when he comes in, uh, in, in Genesis 3, what happens is he begins to cause them to doubt two things. First, to doubt God's word. Did God really say you weren't supposed to eat this? 
I mean, listen, Satan will always cause you to doubt God's revelation. Always. Well, you don't need to read your Bible. That's so archaic. That's so outdated. This is 2018. Nobody reads that anymore. You don't need the Bible. Man, get rid of that thing. Forget what God says, man. You go live your own life. Forget what that says. Don't let that hold you down. That's the message that Satan is giving us right this very minute in our culture. Forget about the Bible. Forget about what God says. Doubt that. Doubt God. That's what he's saying. But he also caused them to doubt their identity. He said, when you do this, all right, God says don't do that. But listen, if you do this, then you will be like God. Now, time out, record scratch, time out. Weren't they already created in the image of God? Weren't they already bearing his likeness? The answer to that would be yes, all right? Yeah, they already have that. But he's like, okay, that's not enough for you. You're kind of missing out on some stuff. But if you really did this, if you forget God and go this way, then you'll really have identity. Then you'll really be happy. Then you'll really get everything that you want in life. And so with one bite, sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, our image of God was twisted and perverted. We no long, they no longer reflected God's character. They no longer, listen, it, it twisted up everything. And their relationship with God now, instead of them walking with God and knowing God and fulfilling his purpose, now they were distant from God. They were separated from God. Now they felt weird feelings like anxiety and worry and, and anger and fear and separation and isolation. All these emotions that we feel so much came flooding in when their relationship with God was severed. Not only that, they started to pursue other things to worship instead of God. Instead of worshiping the creator God that knows them and loves them, they started chasing out and making little stuff over here and worshiping that thing. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created beings rather than the creator. And they started worshiping at football stadiums and worshiping at banks and worshiping at their jobs and worshiping at, at the mall. And they started doing all these things to try to gain these things in hopes that they will matter some way. They were separated from God. It also messed up the way they viewed their work. Now all of a sudden, they, work became hard for them to do. Work became a taskmaster, a slave and so they are given to their work, but their work doesn't produce. And they're given to their job, but their job never satisfies. And so they got to keep working and keep working and keep working, but their job never fulfills the, the thing that only God can fulfill. No matter how many promotions, no matter how hard they work, they're never fully satisfied in it. Like so many today. Maybe you. You're working and working and working, trying to carve out an identity. If I could just win more, if I could just produce more, if I could just sell more, if I could just expand more, then, then finally I would have an identity that to be proud of. But work is a heavy taskmaster, and it never satisfies you. It also messed up their relationships. Now all of a sudden, for the first time, Adam and Eve are fighting, Right? And they're blaming and they're finger pointing and there's division and there's hatred and there's, there's jealousy and there's lying and, and eventually their siblings are killing one another and all this kind of wrecking ball hitting their marriages or shattering it. So what happens here is because of lies, and I'm going to write the word lies here, because of, of believing Satan's lies, all of a sudden they have lost what they had. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they exist. And everything they touch gets twisted up and perverted. It causes a lot of pain. Listen, many times what's at the core 
of some of the things that hurt us the most and the, and the self-destructive things that we do, at the core of it is a lie that we believe about ourselves. A, a girl that's told that she's worthless is a girl that will grow up and believe that she's worthless and go from bad abusive relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. Why do you do that? Because at the core, she really believes that she's worthless and she's getting exactly what she deserves. A man that feels like he is inadequate will, will work himself to the bone to try to prove that he's not inadequate. But every time he fails, he hears those words in his mind. See, I told you you're a loser. I told you you're inadequate. I told you you'd never make it. A teenager that goes off to school and they don't know who they are. All of a sudden, they, are, they will compromise anything in order to be accepted. Anything in order to be embraced by a crowd. And this is where we are. We, we, we end up in this place where we bought a lot of lies. And, we've, and those lies have led to destructive behavior that continues to reinforce the lies that we've told ourselves. And, and we are in a place where we're separated from God. We're destructive in our relationships. And we're unsatisfied in our work. And we don't know how to get out of it. And this is why Jesus came. <laughs> this is why. This is why Christ came. He came because he saw that what God had given in our identity had been lost. And he came to restore it. ID restored. That's why Jesus came. He came to restore you back to what God had created you to do. And so this is, this is really the power of the gospel. The gospel says when we were lost, when we were down here, we were buying lives, we were living self-destructive lives and, and separated from all that God created us to be, that Christ came to us. We could not come to him. He came to us. And he came in the person of Christ. And it says that Christ was the ultimate image of God. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? He was a perfect image of God. Untainted by sin, uncompromised in any way. He came. He wasn't just a good man. He was a God man. And he stepped out of heaven and he stepped into time. And he came to redeem what was lost in your life and to make you new. And so he came and he went to a cross. And on that cross, he took all of our mess, all of our waywardness, all of our compromise, all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all the lies that we believed about ourselves and about others. And he took it on himself as the perfect image of God. He took it on himself and he became sin for us. And when he went to the cross, he was going there to pay the penalty for our sin. The sin that separates us from God, he was paying it in full. The Bible says that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death, and now he offers you something new. He offers you a new start. He offers you a new heart. He offers you a new life. He offers you a new purpose, a new identity. He offers you a new hope for the future, a new legacy, a new destiny. All of that is what Jesus offers us to bring us back to the place that we'd fallen from. And one day he's going to take us to heaven and he's going to make us all new completely, utterly, over again. Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. But even now, he offers you newness if you turn to him. Even now. In fact, I love what it says in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. In Adam, when we bought the lies, we died spiritually. We died in a relationship. We died the way God created us to be. But in Christ, we come alive again. We come alive again. In Christ, we come alive. In Christ, 
it, we become new. In Christ, everything changes. That phrase, in Christ, is repeated 160 times in the New Testament. It is a profoundly important statement. To be in Christ means to be forgiven. To be in Christ means to be made new. To be in Christ means the Spirit of God lives within us. To be in Christ means to no longer be of this world, but to be in God's family, in Christ. I love what 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so in the book of Ephesians, you see this phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, repeated over and over and over and over and over. And that's what we're going to be studying through this series. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church that forgot who they were. And he's saying, you want to know who you are? Let me show you who you are. Let me show you who you are in Christ. And he goes through this beautiful list of who we are in Christ, he said, you are blessed, you are holy, you are adopted, you are forgiven, you are an heir, uh, you, are, you are sealed and secure by God. I mean, it's beautiful things. That's who you are in Christ. So here's the question. Who are you? You're more than a name, more than what you do. Who are you? Are you in Christ? Maybe as you've been listening to this, you've been thinking, you know what, I've been listening to a lot of lies. This is why I'm not satisfied in my work. This is why that promotion, I'm happy for a day, and then I'm like, oh, well. This is why I can't ever be satisfied in my marriage. This is why I can't be satisfied in, 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 in my friendships. This is why I keep pushing and pushing, but I don't know why. Because I've got lies in my head that I, I heard when I was a kid. This is why I feel so far from God. This is why I live such self-destructive lives. You see, when you know who you are, you know what to do. So are you in Christ?